The reading this morning is from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, It's so lovely to be with you here this morning. Thank you, Meredith, for that Bible reading. Uh, as Justin said, please keep your Bibles open. It's really important to me that as I speak, you have God's Word open in front of you uh, so that you can think about it and uh, keep me accountable for what I say as well. Uh, it's really lovely to get to open up the Word with you this morning at St. Philip's. I've really loved my time here at Church Hill, um, but I'm excited for more opportunities to get to know you down this end of the road. I think I've probably gotten to know the youth Uh, from this service a little bit better so far and do have really enjoyed hanging out with them. Uh, Today we are continuing our series on alternatives to Christian hope and their antidotes. Thinking about the alternatives that the world presents to the Christian hope, how they may challenge and tempt us, and what the antidote to this problem is. Uh, Today we're going to be hanging out in 1 Timothy in a part of the letter that I think has some really tangible truth for us to engage with. I do want to say before I start though that while we will be speaking quite a lot about money today, uh, we aren't 
the focus of what we're talking about, and, and particularly with mine thinking about what's happened at, at St. Andrews, isn't that we are thinking carefully and analyzing what we do with our money. Today we are thinking about the hope that we have in Jesus and why that will look after us, uphold us, and help us to endure through all things. So how about I start by praying for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray now, Lord, that you would help us to understand that by your spirit you would do a work in us. And we pray, Father, that you continue taking us on the journey of forming us into the likeness of your Son and help us to cling to you in the face of what often feels like a dark world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, we're not particularly good at being content with what we have, even when what we have is sufficient. Uh, it may seem silly, but for a long time for me, the best example of this in my life was the lunch that I had at school. Uh, every day I would have kind of the same ham and cheese sandwich with mayonnaise and pepper. Uh, and I was very lucky that my sister's chore at home was to make that sandwich. Uh, as part of what she did in the household. Uh, however, often that would backfire on me if we'd had a clash the night before. I had to kind of time my, my fights with my sister quite well. Um, I once opened my lunchbox to two pieces of bread with a piece of paper that said, ha ha, in between them. Uh, but even when I had the lunch that I was supposed to have, I was always jealous of my friends who would get their lunch from the canteen. I was jealous of chicken goujons, I was jealous of scallop sandwiches, um, while what I had was completely fine, right, it did the job, it got me through the day, uh, I always wanted that little bit more, I was always jealous of the things that others had. Uh, one of the worst developments, I think, in recent history in the battle for Christian contentment has been social media. We are so much more aware of what people in the world around us are doing and also what they have. Uh, it used to be that just in social interactions we'd hear about these things, right? Like, oh, did you hear that the neighbors went on an overseas holiday? Yeah, you might feel a bit of jealousy, but you weren't hearing about it too much, so it wasn't too much of a problem. Or maybe once a year you get one of those Christmas cards, maybe you write one of these Christmas cards uh, that you receive and then you read and it's kind of all the achievements of your friend's family and each kind of family member and what they've done throughout the year. Um, I've never made it to the end of one of those, but I've heard that they are uh, something that can often be exciting, but also causes you to do a bit of comparison, doesn't it? But now people put every part of their life on social media. So you are constantly bombarded with the joys, the success, the luck of other people and everyone you know, sometimes people that you don't even know. And so now contentment, it's not really based on kind of your general well-being or happiness, but where people place themselves, where we place ourselves in comparison to others whose lives we see intimately through pictures and videos every time we open our phones. And so I want you just to take a moment. I'm going to pause for a few seconds, and I want you to just imagine, just bring up in your head what you think your life would look like for you to be completely content. Just take a moment to yourselves for that. Now check out what Paul says in 1 Timothy, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
I wonder if that was your standard that came up into your head then. It's a pretty low one, right? It's a pretty low bar. It's not nothing, but it's also not a lot. Today, we are going to address the two different general positions that you might find yourself in. Uh, those of us who feel like we are without the money and possessions that we desire or feel that we need. And also, some of us are blessed in the sense of having much wealth and security. But what we'll see from 1 Timothy today is that there are pitfalls that each of these groups can fall into. And what can happen when the Christian hope is not enough for us, and so we turn our hope to the world's answer of money and possessions. And then we're going to think about the antidote to this problem. Now, we're not very good at kind of trusting when we start to get anxious about things. Uh, I think particularly we like to just have a double checker in our lives. Most people like to double check things. An example might be like double checking that the oven's off, right? Um, but one of the funnier ones, I think, is that when you're kind of doing some high-level sort of important accountancy stuff, or maybe you're doing your tax, or um, maybe you've had to do an exam of some kind recently that involves maths, uh, is that we will, for some reason, that part of our lives, we'll suddenly start using a calculator for arithmetic that we probably could have done in our heads already. Like we just want to check very quickly that 2 plus 2 does still equal 4. Excel is, or is right about the maths that it has done. Uh, we know kind of the truth about it. We know what's going on, but we, we're just not quite trusting enough. We like to have that double checker. Even right at the end of, extension, of um, HSC extension maths, I was still checking like single digit adding up on my, on my calculator just to make sure that I didn't screw it all up. Have a look at verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I'm sure a lot of us feel immense pressure in our lives to provide, to provide for our families, for people who rely on us, or maybe just for ourselves. For many of us, the current economic situation, well, it, it means that we simply don't have the things that we, we kind of thought that we would have at this stage in our lives or at this age. What the content life, what the good life we thought we would have would be. And so I'm sure for lots of us, in reality, we don't really feel like we're trying to reach further than we should. We, we just want what we thought we would have. Like if I can just do this thing, right, then I'll be content with my life. If, if God just kind of does this to help me, get me to this point, this level of financial security, then I will be content, I'll be fine. But if there is something clear that we can take away from God's word, it is that money comes with a danger. Trusting in money or possessions for security, for protection, for security and stability. Well, Paul here says that that is a trap we fall into a trap that plunges us into ruin and ultimately puts us at risk of walking away from the faith. Now, money is foundational to the way our society functions, right? It's not an evil in itself. In fact, we need it to keep the lights on in this church. 
but because it is so central to the day-to-day functions of our lives that we see it in all things, we can trick ourselves into thinking that it is the source uh, of, of all that is good for us. We can treat it like it is the lifeblood that sustains and maintains our lives around us. Uh, and if we get tempted to think that, then of course we are tempted for it to take the place of God in our lives. And so this is what makes the love of money the root of all kinds of evil. Because when you pursue it to fulfill the roles in your life that are rightly owned by God, it is inevitably going to consume you completely. Your decision-making, well, it becomes based on what will protect this thing that you think is so important, what will strengthen it, how you use your time, how you prioritize, and suddenly things that aren't in that place that you have given to money, financial gain, or possessions, well, they start to take a back seat, right? Jesus is important, but I, I need to do this thing first. I've got to sort this out because I have a responsibility to look after my family. God wants me to do that anyway, right? But is it what protects you? Is it what sustains you? Is it actually what will provide for those who rely on you? I'm not saying it's irrelevant. What I'm saying is that it cannot be God. A university, uh, there's a particular type of person who um, I'm sure people who are closer to university may sort of remember this, um, I refer to them as the group assignment vulture. So when you do a group assignment at university, um, especially once you've done one already, you've figured out that who's in your group matters. Uh, and so when you kind of get to the tutorial at the start of the semester, you look at the form, you're like, okay, there's a group assignment in here. Now there's a few types of people in the room. There's kind of the middle ground people, and then there's, there's the high achievers, right? And they're immediately thinking, all right, who in this room is the smallest anchor? But there's also people on the other side who are there thinking, all right, who can I pair myself with so that I'm going to do the minimum amount of work and get the best outcome? Um, my wife, Danielle, she's like one of the, she was one of those kind of top high-achieving people. And so people would kind of, as soon as it starts, she, she was a, a teacher, and they just all kind of flocked to her because they knew that she kind of didn't, didn't want her marks to drop too much, so she'd make sure that their work was good. Uh, whereas I was a bit of a vulture, and so I was kind of looking for people like my wife, but I was like, oh, she's there. they're going to look after me, man. Take me under your wing. Let's do this thing. Um, oh, my work wasn't very good. Oh, maybe if you rewrite it a bit, then it'll be fine. And so, right, you get a bunch of the credit for something that wasn't really your doing in the end. You kind of worked hard. You were involved in it, maybe. You were doing things, so kind of you were part of it. But those outcomes, the things that were good about it, they weren't really yours for the taking. They're not really something you can claim the credit for. We'll jump down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, of course, here at Church Hill, we have a wide variety of people in our congregations, which is great. 
But Paul doesn't just fear for those who are without, but he fears for those who have. Some in great abundance. Once again, in itself, not a bad thing. But for the one who has much, there is also a great danger. The first is that wealth will be a mark of success or superiority for them. Uh, Of course, this is kind of only on a worldly scale of success, but I'm sure it's pretty easy to think that if you've done well, that gives you a measure of superiority over others. Uh, I'm not trying to take away from any hard work that has gotten people to this point, but it comes from the mistake of thinking that the blessings that you have in your life are due to you. Right? It's like me and that group assignment, thinking that this great mark that I've gotten was due to anything that I'd done. Sometimes it can be tempting, right? and it can be tempting to think uh, that an outcome of how, it's an outcome of how good an individual's faith is. Right? They're doing better because their faith's there, how godly they are. But just like the one who desires more, well, there is a risk for the one who has that it will become their source of hope. After all, it has provided so much for someone, maybe even allowed them to be a blessing to the church with their wealth. When what you have provides such visible security for you, when it is so clearly linked to the wonderful things that you're able to do, then it becomes so easy for you to think that it is the source of your hope. So so what do you do? Well, you commit to protecting it. You see yourself as the provider of it. And when you don't see needs that can't be provided for outside of it, then why would you need to look for something else anyway? And of course, there's always the next thing, right? The next step, the next achievement, the next thing. Uh, You find that even when you have, you kind of end up still wanting more because ultimately we know that this hope does not fulfill. It does not bring contentment. In fact, the hole that is filled by wealth becomes larger as it becomes fuller. From experience, I find that people who know the most about the stock market uh, tend to be people who have money, and usually people who are smarter than me. Uh, And this is for good reason, because often our stability is attached directly to it, right? Investments, deposits, savings, uh, all can be affected by different things that are going on in the world. But at various times, such as the 2007 and 8 financial crisis, we saw that even for those who have much, that no matter who you are, this form of security of having much and having wealth, well, it's also vulnerable and can also be taken away. In the Old Testament, in the book of Job, we see a man that has great wealth be reduced to poverty in an instant, that the permanency of this form of security is shaky at best, and in fact, for all its benefits, is still vulnerable and ultimately empty. The one who puts their hope in the temporary is destined to perish with it. And so Paul calls on the rich to put their hope in the Lord who richly provides and to use their wealth for the benefit of others as they live out their faith, seeking to invest in the kingdom, the benefit of the weak, and by doing so, trusting in the gospel for their hope rather than their wealth. Uh, A way of thinking about this, I think, is that when it comes to something like giving at church, right, uh, is that the amount that you should give is different for different people. 
Uh, for some people, 10% is a good amount. For some, 3% is a good amount. For some, 20. The point isn't the money, right? God will care for his church. The point is that we need to feel it. That you give enough so that it demonstrates to you that you do not find your hope in it. That something is given up. One of the most confronting experiences of my life was when I went on mission to Vanuatu. Me and Danny have, have gone about four times uh, to the island of Santo to do mission work with uh, a group of missionaries there. Uh, and one of the things that I've always been confronted by was how much more I felt ministered to uh, than anything I'd ever contributed while being over there. Uh, and part of this was seeing the joy that people have in the gospel when they have nothing. Uh, people would arrive to church, they'd come out of their kind of shanties that they lived in, they'd meet for Bible study uh, in some of the most kind of strange places because it was just where you could meet for Bible study. Um, but they would come with such joy and excitement um, and often that they would they would often have a very good concept of how much they lacked and yeah, they desired to have more, but it wasn't what their joy was connected to. Uh, this was a, a church that uh, met in kind of a small town in, or small town or village in a place called Luganville, um, but they had planted churches up in the mountains. Uh, a number of them had kind of been sent out, uh, people, locals who'd been trained up. And the moment that confronted me the most was when Lug this Luganville Church did its uh, offering to support churches that, they were, um, that they'd sent off in, for mission. They never struggled to fund the churches that had been sent out to minister to the tribes people. I uh, could not believe the way that people came forward to give what they had uh, after I just watched them kind of come out of a, a, a shanty house in order to attend church. And that was because they understood what Paul's talking about in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who, is alone, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Sometimes it feels like Paul was rationed with the number of full stops that he was allowed to use. Flee from these things, my friends. Flee from all things that offer you hope outside of the gospel, that set traps for you that lead to ruin and destruction, that promise so much, and may even for a time appear to deliver on that march, but ultimately will fade away and disappear forever. The fact is that regardless of where we sit on the wealth ladder in this room, all of us sit high on that ladder in the world. We are incredibly blessed by God with so much, yet we are so quick to want more, to rely on the gift instead of the giver, 
and to disregard our, our eternity for the sake of the temporary that looks so good before our eyes? How big will we build our barns before we realize that they will burn down? And so instead, Paul says, pursue righteousness, godliness, love, fight the good fight of the faith. Maybe use our resources to do that. Instead of taking hold of your finances, take hold of the eternal life offered to you. Don't be, don't be foolish with your money, but be willing to let go should that be necessary for you to focus on your faith. Jesus doesn't demand that we abandon all that we have like he does when he speaks to the young rich ruler. But he does demand that we be willing should he knock on the door and ask the hard question. For those who desire more for yourself, look, I'm there with you. It is so hard to be content when the world continually tells you to want more. When wanting more is presented as good and right, when working hard is connected to a reward that you might deserve for it, rather than working hard because that honors our God. When you feel like a failure because you've just not reached the apparent success of others on your Facebook. Well, for those who do not need more, but are at risk of trusting in what they have rather than in God, well, I'm with you too. Day to day, it is so easy to trust in what we can see, right? What looks like it is sustaining us. After all, we see money exchanged for food and it feeds us. But remember that everything that we have, everything that you can see, comes from one who you cannot see. Money is not evil, but it makes a lousy God, a lousy place for hope, and ultimately one that will fail you, that will fade away, and will leave you with nothing as you face the blessed and only ruler who you may have ignored. Being content is not about what you have. It is about what you know to be true about the reality of the situation you are in as a follower of Jesus. Being content is not about what you have, it is about what you know. Our contentment, our joy, our security is not connected to the ups and downs of our physical reality. Yes, it's okay and good to be sad when horrible things happen in the world. In fact, it is often godly too. But our understanding of our future of our security, of our safety. Well, it is stable, it is steadfast, and it is unchanging. So we may rejoice in all circumstances as we see the truth of what we hold, the truth that will stand forever and will never fade away. For they who put their hope in the Lord, the King of Kings, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, they will be the ones to experience the true riches of his grace on the day when the wealth of this world will mean nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the immense blessings that you give us. We pray, Lord, that we would always worship the giver and not the gift. Father, help us to be ones who put our hope in you so that when we face the ups and downs of this reality, that we would remain steadfast, that we would hold to you in the face of great darkness, knowing the light 
that will stand for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.